Hello, welcome to this episode of the Jacks Cast. I'm Carlos Delojo and I'm here with Joanna Antonelli, Malcolm Sparks, Alex Davis, and Zexman Jess. And today we'll be talking to our new member uh, Zexman about how did he got into Clojure, a brief update on cracks, and a discussion about standardizing text editors. Okay, so we've got a new uh, joiner today, as is the tradition. It's uh, Zexman Jez Daily. And so, Zexman, we're going to ask you uh, your origin story. How did you discover programming? How did you discover closure and, and juxt? Ah, it's actually not a very exciting origin story. Where, did oh. you, where were you born and where did you grow up? And um, where did you go to school? So, I come from India, um, a city called Bangalore in the south of India. I did engineering, electronics in my undergrad, and uh, only discovered um, programming at my first job. Your software experience was kind of limited, and then you just went into a job, and they say, here, use this functional programming language. Oh, yes. I I didn't even know there were programming paradigms. Um, I thought object-oriented was was like the world. Wow. So they said something called functional. I was like, what's that? Yeah, it's a different programming paradigm. What's a programming paradigm? <laughs> so in my first job, I, was, I worked as an electronics um, hardware engineer. And uh, eventually I started, get, like, started doing firmware. And this was like three years ago. And I think Internet of Things was like older age. We didn't have anybody in the company who actually did, like, build a web page. So they're like, hey, Zexman, could could you just like learn how to actually build a web page? Clearly remember, WebSockets like blew my mind <laughs> because it was like, Jesus Christ, it's instant. Um, but yeah, I, I designed my first web page and I used, um, so IBM had this platform for like Internet of Things applications. They called it Bluemix. Yeah. I don't know what it's called now, but uh, so I really actually enjoyed the whole like project. So it was mainly because it was instant gratification. You write something, you see it, voila, it's it's ready. Previously in electronics, you have to wait six, seven months of dev time. You have to say, wait till you actually see the product. So I was like, okay, actually I'm enjoying this far more. So I'm going to try and get into uh, web development. So I learned a bit of JavaScript. And uh, uh, the first job that I applied for in London, um, I thought it was a JavaScript shop. So I was like, okay, uh, I want to be a web developer, like basically a graduate. So... He was, we had some tests. It was completely JavaScript. He was like, okay, it looks like you can learn. It's fine. Come on in. And he's like, I got the job. So the first day I went in, he was like, oh, we don't uh, work on JavaScript. I was like, okay, so what do you do? It's like, we use something called Clojure. Um, you might have to look it up and see what it is. And that's how I got introduced to Clojure. I never actually, like, I don't know if people would accept me uh, because I didn't choose Clojure. It chose me, kind of. Closure. Yeah, so. That's probably true for all of us. Yep. So I'm going to ask, Zexman, we have three-letter codes in Jux, so everybody gets a unique, not an employee ID, but they get a a three-letter code that you can choose. And it was really easy to come up with your three-letter code because it's ZYX, right? Yeah. So, um, which was still available. It's always <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was going to, my, as my question, we'll open it up to the others, but I mean, w- w- where did your name come from? And Yeah, uh, funny thing is, to be honest, I actually don't know because my dad doesn't 
he hasn't said anything about it. I always asked him because English isn't his first language. Uh, his uh, he's a Tamilian. He speaks Tamil, so um, I always asked him, "Where did you get my name?" I mean, it's bonkers. Look at the like. There's no vowels. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, hey, he never. He just said, "Yeah, I like the name," and he never actually uh, explained it much. Um, which, yeah, my, my theory is he probably was so pissed out of his mind. Like, <laughs> uh, he just put something in in the birth certificate. Right. Uh, and I like your theory that... Well, he got drunk in his head. He was trying to spend all night up thinking about boys' names and he fell asleep and his head fell onto his keyboard. Yeah. And he woke up <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning and it was there staring at him. It's the moment of genius, you yeah. know. That, I think that's... <laughs> Um, I think that is very plausible. <laughs> I think it's, it's can happen. But uh, my middle and so he was a hundred meter sprinter in the Air oh, Force wow. for the Indian Air Force. Wow. So the uh, mid he so he was big on all like anything to do with sprinting, basically the sprinting world. So I don't. I think what he told me was the um, all the letters. Basically, it's an acronym. So it's. It's the initials of every sprinter, his five favorite sprinters. And, but the middle name, Daly. Daly, uh, Daly Thompson. Daly Thompson well, and Jess, Jesse Owens. Yeah. Or yeah. Decker, Decker. Yeah. yeah. So, he, uh, so that's, that's the explanation he gave. He never probably thought about how it's pronounced or does it make any sense or <laughs> my son's going to be bullied in school. Yeah. That's brilliant. So. Or it's, it's, it's great for usernames, isn't it? Having it's a, amazing because you know, I've never actually had to... My username is always available. So I remember once on Twitter it said this ID's already in use and I was like, oh, shit. Uh, well, well you know. I can tell you it's not hard to find you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it is like... It's too, it's too late to like not leave a trace anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I had an, it said the account is already in use, and oh, I have to for the first time use a number behind my name. Wow. Then actually, it happened to be one of my old accounts. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, it has its perks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's always an icebreaker. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We just had a crux showcase. We have them every Friday before the podcast. And so our heads kind of full of crux at the moment. We, we were, so what was in the, the, the crux showcase, Joanna? Putting me on the spot. Um, so Jeremy talked about the refactoring that they've done, splitting up crux into lots of different modules, which is, is now a lot more approachable when you go and have a look at it. Uh, Ivan showed us some really cool performance graphs, which we still, everyone else needs to get their head around what it actually means, but they look awesome. Um, They're great. I talked about my tutorials a bit, and John was talking about his JDBC work. So John's not with us today because he's been, he's locked himself in one of the coding rooms here to um, work on a JDBC driver, which actually, basically makes Crux work with Postgres and Oracle and SQL Server. and So that's, that's nice. going to be... It's going to be awesome. Yeah. The, the console looks really nice. I don't want to, you know, be the spoiler, but, you know, the console is something that's kind of an internal project. It looks nice and nice every week. And this time we presented with 3D rotational graphs mm. of performance metrics and... Double know, layers. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, looking forward to announcing that 
sometime in the future. I'm not sure when this podcast will go out, but we're pretty excited about it now. Um, <laughs> your tutorials are nearly finished, Joanna? Tutorials are nearly finished. Um, launched by Heart of Closure, I think. we're gonna, Yeah, that's yeah. the aim. Uh, we're going to launch them internally and get a good amount of feedback, so they'll be really nice and polished by Heart of Closure. We'll be inviting everyone to have a go. It's going to be a really nice starting place. I know you've spoken about that before, but I wasn't here. But it's a kind of choose-your-own-adventure series. Yeah. At the moment, there's not a whole lot of choice, uh, but it's somewhere to start. And it's we're going to keep on expanding on it so that it will really turn into... You can now go off here and do a mission. It's set in space, in a interplanetary, I think we settled on, because we're only going around the solar system. So interplanetary, which is really great, really fun to write as well. Hopefully fun to read. And you get to learn on the way. Yeah, so you go through, you do your assignments uh, using Crux. And by the end of it, you'll be a whiz on Crux. I I think you should call it missions. Missions? Yeah, because assignment is like, oh, homework again. (laughs) Just coming back from school. This is true. (laughs) Some missions might sound... Mission is like something... You have to get done. Motivating. Maybe Maybe we should launch them... on 20th of July, the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. That would be a good... You just That'd got next perfect. week. That would mm. be perfect, yeah. So maybe we should tie that in. It's a Saturday, I think, 20th of July. Yeah. Yep, so that would be really good. Okay, so that's the, the, the crux wrap-up. And uh, so we were talking about the three-letter codes before and about standards in general. And that, that came up a weird conversation that we had one lunchtime this week where we were talking about, well, what if we had... Because in Juxt, we've never standardised on people's developer tools because developers are kind of fairly precious about their environment and for good reason. But we were, we were thinking about if you're starting a company today, would you have you know, standard development tooling for the advantages of being able to collaborate and mob programming and be able to share each other's keyboards, if that's a good thing? But we found that a bit difficult and challenging today. And we're trying to create remote programming environments and, and kind of solve that problem. But it, it's an interesting thing, and there, there are powerful reasons to have standards. So I was going to ask everyone in the room, if you, if you had um, a kind of on a scale of 0 to 10, like 0 being you can kind of pull Vim from my cold, dead hands, and 10 being, hey, <laughs> you know, I'm interested in finding out something new. So Carlos, where would you be in that? Um... <laughs> right, I think there's a uh, sort of inverse correlation age that scale you define. <laughs> so the older you are, is just going to go towards zero. I think people plus experienced developers mainly, as you said, they're very uh, sort of precious about their environment. But I think it's just in the end, it's comfort zone. So they're, it's really hard to take them out of comfort zone. I always try to tell myself, don't be uh, scared of your comfort zone and just try to move away. And uh, it's something I try to tell to all the coders. So I'm always keen of trying new things. I try not to stick to the same technology, to the same editor, although I do it, <laughs> but I try not to. What is that editor, by the way? My editor. Mm. My editor is Vim. But in this case, I'm using Space Max because the Emacs ecosystem for Clojure is, is great. But I'm using Evil Mode, which is all the Vim key bindings for it. I think it would be hard for me. Uh, we said zero, uh, zero is the hardest, so probably for me would be a probably a three. Mm-hmm. Where are you on that scale now, Alex? Because you've had a few, you know, different 
experiences since you've been in, in Juxt? Yeah, I, I guess before I joined, the only thing I'd ever used really was um, IntelliJ and like Sublime Text. And there's a lot of nice things that IntelliJ gives you. You can right-click, uh, refactor or rename this thing and then it will go across the whole system and and i guess uh, java is better suited to that because it's statically analyzed yeah when when i joined though i was very happy to change so i, I was in a, a position where i never really felt attached to it because i hadn't spent any time configuring it really i hadn't I, I didn't feel very proficient at the time and i thought if i'm coming into a company where lots of people know what they're doing and they're all using this emacs thing because you know, that's on the on the Juxt job application. It said, you know, you can choose either Vim or Emacs. And I was like, well, I've never even used either of those. So I guess I'm going to have to choose one. And you said, you know, everyone tends to use Emacs. You know, there's only a couple of weirdos who use Vim. So <laughs> so I started off with, um, with Emacs. And I think I just used your setup. And yeah, and I, that lasted me like maybe a month and then I was working on a project with someone else uh, we were the only two on the project so we were working quite closely together and he was using Spacemax as well with the Vim bindings and I, I, when I was sort of sharing my screen and um, typing he would always be like oh you know you can just do this and for me it's space J Y or whatever and, and I'd be like oh but I, I can't do that because I'm using the different things so quickly I realised it would definitely be more efficient for me just to get his config file off him, just switch my way of working to his way of working, and it would just speed things up a lot. So I, I started using Spacemax purely because that was what he was using and I was working with him all day, every day. And now if you asked me to switch to something else, I think I would be a lot less willing. Although not, I definitely wouldn't be a one on the scale. Maybe, maybe like a four. I've since sort of added my own sort of key bindings and I've got my own thing that... It works the way I want it to. But if I if I joined a new company and everything was perfect except they said I had to use their editor, I think I would still be fine with that. It's not a deal breaker to me. I guess people say it's a personal thing, but yeah. Anyway. Like I guess I want to get to why do we as developers say it's a personal thing? Because I was using the example of um, sewing machines. And, uh, you know, you're using a sewing machine all day and every day. In a, in a, you're in a factory, you're making clothes. Um, do you let your, you know, your machinists make a choice as to what the sewing machine they feel most comfortable with and choose their own sewing machine and, and fabric and yarn and, and so on? And, and so the, the question is, are we just as a, a group being quite precious because we have to be paid quite well, we happen to be in demand, there's a supply shortage, and therefore we get little perks to be able to choose our own environment but we're missing out on perhaps more of a a greater collective productivity by choosing to optimize our own personal productivity and it may be partly the the industry to blame that we tend to want to optimize personal productivity because we jump from job to job there's a lot of churn in the industry and we want to take our tools with us because we want to make that, that investment but if we were as a collective and a group if we were taking a very very long-term view maybe you know, would the reskilling time actually, you know, as a, as a proportion of the overall time of getting investment and collaborative productivity, would it would it be worth it? So I, I you know, I, in my own case, I think I'm probably about a f four or a five. I'm kind of, I did switch 
once from Emacs to IntelliJ and used IntelliJ and Eclipse for a few years when I was mostly doing Java and I found some productivity increases with that and some that was you know they were really good tools when they came out and the whole refactoring stuff but I've gravitated back to Emacs but um, you know there's a lot of things that I don't use a lot of Emacs additions that I see other people use and they get frustrated when they watch me code and they say well why can't you find a file like that why do you have to kind of stumble through a, a yeah. directory of files which I do right and um, so, I, I mean, my, my setup is Emacs plus Cider plus Magit plus Org Mode, and that's it. I try to kind of stay within the defaults and, and not have too many kind of fun. But I've seen some other people have kind of almost every Melper package loaded, you know, and their Emacs takes half an hour to start up, and, you know, and that's great because they have all these kind of this sort of artificial intelligence editor that's, that's able to kind of code for them. So, Zexman, what's your... Where are you on that scale now? I'm open to actually changing editors. It's completely dependent on what the work environment is as a team, what's what's best. From my electronics background, for me, it's whatever is the lightest. So like like Alex, uh, I had a choice between Emacs and Vim. And I asked what comes default, like what's installed by default. They said Vim's installed by default. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, use Vim. Uh, interesting. I mean, I've been using Windows lately and I, I was surprised to see Notepad and it was under, in Windows 10, Notepad is under the productivity section, which I <laughs> thought was quite humorous. And, and Notepad is renowned for being quite lightweight. Yeah. So um, I, I'm not sure if I buy that argument about, uh, you know. But yeah, I, fair you know. enough. Uh, it's, yeah, I was using Ubuntu at the time. So it's like, well, what's, what can I use that comes by default? Yeah. And that's just, uh, but like you said, it's important that people follow a default configuration. There's no point. Even if you use the same editor, but you all have different key bindings. So in the Vim world, is that more common? I guess it is because you know, Emacs has got kind of um, notorious for having all these different personal. I, I think people do change because uh, there is a competition as to how many few keystrokes can you have to do a particular motion, and so everybody has their own uh, config. So, but I stick to default because if I say I'm using a colleague's computer, Vim is installed by default. Mm. I don't have to worry about key bindings. I can just open it up. So it's a practical kind of use case. It's it's definitely helpful to have uniformity. I guess as a team, to work as a team, it does help. And pair programming, well, it's it's actually a big plus. Like I said, if you have when you get individual choices into play, then it gets a bit tricky. Where where are you on the scale of switching? You said you um, quite have for that. Eight seven eight. That's fine. Joanna, where are you, where are you on that scale? So I was similar. To Alex, um, I didn't know what Emacs was. I didn't know what Vim was. I barely knew what an editor was. So I just picked one. I picked Emacs, and it's great. And it's now all customized to my own key bindings. And I try and use Vim, and I do Control x Control s and mess everything up. So, but then coming into it, I really liked that it was, oh, you can choose Emacs or Vim. Because I wouldn't then go off and find something that I, I wasn't sure would be up to scratch. Could it do what I needed to do? I don't know what I need to do. Um, so it's really good to have that kind of advice on this is what we use, this is what works. It might not make sense now, but it's going to work throughout. I like that idea. Um, I'd be happy to switch any day. Like you said, as long as there's the understanding that it will take time. I'm, I'm used to it. I've got muscle memory now for everything. So give me a while. Like, I'm going to be really slow on it to start with. I think I'd the reason, yeah, I think the reason in in the company why we didn't really have to standardize on editor is that we did decide early on to standardize on text 
as the data format of a company mm-hmm. as opposed to binary streams. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, the fact that we chose text, plain text for our documents, and it, a lot of it was driven because we were a post-Git company. So we, when we started, Git was already, GitHub was already kind of ubiquitous. So let's put everything, all our software, all our company documents, all our contracts into Git because then we get versioning for free. And that was, that was kind of an easy choice. And because diffing and Git and source code version control really works best when you standardize on text, it doesn't diff binary files very well, then you're kind of encouraged to, to make everything text. So I get grumpy when people send me Word documents because I, I send them back and ask for PDFs. But even PDFs are kind of sub, you know, suboptimal because I can't really just go in and make changes and edit them like I can for a Word document. So um, the I, I think the fact that we very early on said text for code, which is it's hard to think why anyone would not choose text for code. We we chatted about this, didn't we, the other day about some some people have chosen not to use text as as their code language. And one of the one of the examples I uh, was Visual Basic. When I, I remember corrupting a Visual Basic project by choosing the wrong property or clicking on the wrong doc, uh, dialog box or something, and I corrupted the file underneath it. Oh my God. Yeah, and I and had the code to, was corrupted as well. The code was corrupted, and I had to start the entire project code base again. And the code base was essentially consisted of clicking around frantically on. Yeah. you know that's yeah. what you do. Is, you know, you just get RSI on your mouse. I mean, it's all it's coding <laughs> by mouse. Yeah, and I remember that. Yeah. But even the basic code had been lost, and it, it kind of struck me as how weird it is that that used to be a fashion that you you tied your editor and your code and your infrastructure all in one parcel without you know, separating those really important concerns. So we're quite lucky that we've we've kind of grown up in seeing the advantages of text, but there's a lot of companies that are still shackled with the data format they use is coupled with a particular application, and in some cases a particular version of an application. If you've ever had Keynote refuse to open an old presentation, you know what I mean. So, yeah. so I think that, that we're talking about a freedom that we have to choose different editors, like there's no standardization, but actually that is made possible by by standards, but this just happened to be lower level. Yeah, I guess the level does come into play here because you're talking about how does the editor in itself affect us. Yeah, we've it's great we've standardized the text, but but now it's like we need to choose an editor and what it gives us, like as a team. Um, I guess yeah, it's it's all it's all about context in the end. Um, but I think it's a good start to have. The standardization of text is where we go first. And then I guess the next one is to choose what kind of editor we'll all use. Do you think there could be, that ship hasn't sailed, do you, do you think there could be, you know, a bit, well, within the context of a, a project team and maybe within the context of, you know, the you know, Jux company and then in the context of... Um, it's uh, one of my friends in this company, they, they use it. They say Vim is the standard and everybody uses Vim and they say default key bindings, please. Because... Mm. They swap computers a lot, so it makes sense for them. Mm. So it it does exist, and uh, he does complain a lot, but ultimately he he's happy with it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's I, definitely that ship hasn't sailed. Uh, but as long it, as you choose Vin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, um, it depends. Like Carlos said, um, with experienced programmers, uh, driving home the point as to why 
you need, we need to do what we are doing or why this d- decision has been made. That's very important. Convincing them is important. And um, it, works, it works well when, I guess, when churn comes into play. Um, say if you have contractors and they're there to do a job and they don't have the time Unless they're afforded the time to, and they don't have to obey the same rules. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's it's the type of people as well. But yeah, but I see it's still possible. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a there could be a danger with standardising things, which is that you you trap yourself in those choices because it takes such a long time to standardise, and it's so expensive to change. And I've seen companies that have chosen, you know, Office ninety seven and they're stuck there because they can't upgrade. Well, that's, you know, a poor example, but, yeah. the, you know, there are, there are things where you get stuck in having to use a really old version of a Java application server and you can't move because it's, you know, the rules are you, you'd have to move the whole company onto yeah. the new version. So how do we, you know, what do you think about that? I mean, how does that, are there any solutions to that? I think, I think, as you say, like trying to use simple standards that are w- well known to not change too much over time. That's always very important. On the other hand, big companies, huge companies or huge organizations used to sometimes outsource that. And, you know, let's say the, uh, like a common case of, of the NHS, mm. right? Where they just outsource, I don't know, IT and they just bring all the Microsoft technologies in and, and, you know, Microsoft every five years have changed absolutely everything. And and such a big organization like NHS move forward and change the whole thing or banks or, you know, or big um, chains like, uh, I don't know, like a, like a, like a, um, John Lewis, for example. They've got a huge information system. Just evolving that and change versions is just almost impossible. I mean, they, they cannot move that fast and, and it's very expensive as well. And it requires training for all the people. Is is So for big organizations, I, I mean, if I had a solution on my head, I'd be rich, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably. But yeah, no, for small organizations, definitely, I think, is, is, is a very, at least what we're doing here, using like solid standards that don't change every five years, I think is, is very good. And yeah, I mean simple uh formats and and like like text format everything is is actually very wise i think you know one way to do that is just not to be when you talk about a standard not to be too regimented about it and the the ietf do this with or, or w3c with they call things recommendations and actually the you know the ietf talk about this is a recommended standard so rec- a recommendation so if we said we recommend you use vim in juxt it doesn't force you but it's saying if you if you don't do if if you choose to go with the recommendation chances are a lot of your colleagues are going to have the you know the same setup as you and you can ask them questions and share and pair program but if you choose to go it alone you can but then you become like your own support and your own IT technician and you, you know and and for some people yeah. That's a trade-off worth worth making, and some people it isn't. But it's it's better than having a free-for-all. It's good to have some set of recommendations. Definitely, I think it's uh, not a very ha- harsh way of putting it. It gives you an option. It's like this is what we recommend. We're not very strict about it. Like your doctor can recommend <laughs> take some uh, yeah, exercise, stop smoking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it gives there's more people to help with problems if you do have problems but like you said if 
you choose otherwise you're your own support basically uh, nobody can like not anybody in the building can probably help you immediately oh good that, 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 I think we can wrap up that we recommend you put in recommendations in your company I think that would be, yeah, it's I, a good way to go that ship definitely hasn't sailed yeah. Thank you.